Oi, you're right, you're, rock, you're rocking here. We're here in the East London for the One Gold Moment podcast, the number one 40 podcast where we discuss everything Chelsea Football Club. We're Cal Basketball, actually. You're what? Cal, Cal Basketball, you know the... Cal, is he saying Cal Basketball? Like the farm animal? What, what are you on about, mate? Will you put the ball in the hoop? Yeah, that. Bloody awful. Oh, oh he's giving me a sign here. Oh, scoot over, mate. Oh, there we go. Okay. MJ, hit that beat. First time making our podcast debut, Serena Karana. Thank. Did I say it right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Finally, after weeks and months and years of me trying to get Serena on the podcast, we finally able to get. She has thir- arrived. She has arrived. The third member of the cat. How do I? The third person covering Cal basketball. You know, as I always say, this is always a team effort. You know, whole team eating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, thank you for finally being able yeah. to uh, come to the studio. It's my I, pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I don't have the cookies because part of the deal, part of the deal in order to get her there was for me to make my world famous slash not so famous cookies. That they're very good. Mm-hmm. Well, if they're saying they're, it. I'm not yeah. saying it. They're saying it. But you didn't call them world famous yourself. Yeah. I said yeah, world yeah, famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hey! came out with that spice. <laughs> Speaking of hot takes, uh, one of the conditions of Serena coming on this podcast was her yes. having a hot take. Yes. Serena's not going to be talking for the majority of this podcast. <laughs> it's, it's majority going to be me and Rory, but we just want to... By her own choice, right? Yeah, by yeah. My, of my own free will, yeah. yeah. But as I said, the whole team's got to eat. We just wanted to make sure that you were in the room. So we're not going to get you in this, this hot take now. It might just be at a random point in the podcast... It might be as you leave this room in about half an hour. Yeah. Uh, we're recording 827 on January 26th right after Cal's latest loss to Utah. Speaking of Cal, as always, this is a Cal men's basketball podcast. But first, before we get into that, you know, we are, we are, we are student journalists. We're student podcasters. So I got to mm-hmm. ask, how was, how was y'all first week of school? How was y'all first week back? Um, it was a lot of sadness, you know, seeing homework and books again in front of my face was, uh, it was kind of saddening, but it was good to see the people, you know, glad to get everyone back, but I'm not excited for homework. Yeah, um, it was, it was good to, you know, get back into a little bit of routine and, um, start new classes, it was, you know, kind of exciting, but awful. <laughs> Agreed. I know that yeah. you you said you were trying to achieve a 4.0 in life. In life, still don't know what that means. I, neither we, do I. Can we say, can we say as to whether or not you're you're striving towards that goal? How's how's that progression? I'd say I'm at a 3.0 right now. Solid 3.0. That's yeah. that's definitely it's not passing. bad. You know, we're, we're approaching honors honors territory. Yeah. Is that a B average? Yeah. Yeah, I'm fine with that. You know, Cal's not average right now. They're actually well below average. But this is objective. This is some of us are doing okay. I would say the highlight of my first week was in my second day of my media studies lecture, my professor just ever so casually Mm -hmm. dropped the fact that one of her mentors was Cornell West. 
like, yes, that Cornell West. And as wow. she's, she said it in a way where she almost didn't want to say it. She was like, as one of my mentors, and then there was a pause, and then she said Cornell West. And I was like, I was sitting next to Christy, Christy Aguilar, former sports editor, former assistant. We both Shout looked at each other like, what? But, um, you know, if her mentor was a Cornell West, I, I think we got to say that uh, Cal men's basketball is, is heading south. Wow. <laughs> So that was what I was. Wow. That was the that was, that the, was the setup. So wow, that's an understatement. So We're going way down south. Yeah. Yeah, and again, this is pretty pretty objective when we're saying this. Uh, we have the the crazy stats. We have the facts and figures to. We have our Canadian players of the week. Yeah. <laughs> do we have a? The, we do have a Canadian. Yes, we do. We better have one. It's but, the most important segment. I remember after we recorded the last podcast, you. Uh, you brought up the idea of every podcast we should have a crazy stat of the week. Yes. And I have a crazy stat of the week for you. Drop it. Uh, we are not a political podcast by any means necessary, uh, but in, uh, by uh, any extension. Seatbelts on. But um, here's your crazy stat of the week. Mm. The government shutdown mm. of the United States, the one that just recently temporarily yeah. ended, uh, was 35 days in length. Including today, it has been 36 days since Cal's last win. Oh! Which was against San Jose State. Wow. 88 to 80. A game that... Felt, feels like years ago. Years ago. It was a lot closer than it should have been. So are we saying there's correlation or causation here with the government shutdown and well, Cal's losing streak? As I always like to say, I, pre- I like to present the audience with the facts and they can make their own assumptions, but... Looking forward to those emails <laughs> from our audience. <laughs> those emails. Yeah. But as we said, we just came from the Cal-Utah game. Uh, it was definitely a basketball game where there was definitely a result. There uh, was. There was, in fact. So yeah. as we like to do with the beginning of every podcast, we're going to sort of breeze through the latest week in Cal basketball, and then we sort of get into our thoughts on the week and... Considering that the, the losing streak has now reached nine, we definitely do have some thoughts on this week. A lot. So Cal is now currently 5-15 and 15 on the year. That is not a typo. That is What's the record in conference? 0-8. Uh, oh 0 uh, and that sink eight. in, guys. And that is not uh, zero losses and eight wins. That is uh, zero wins and eight losses. Yep. The nine-game losing streak that, I, that Cal is currently on ties the longest losing streak of the Viking Jones era. That was a streak that goes back last season. Uh, first game of this week, Colorado, 68-59. Uh, I was unfortunately unable to see this game live, but you were able to see that, so yes. I'll let you sort of carry the majority of how that game sort of unfolded. Well, Colorado, California. That, as we said last podcast, that was one of our winnable games. McKinley Wright in his first game back from a shoulder injury. Uh, he was pretty quiet during the first half, didn't do much. Um, but again, we were outplayed, outmaneuvered, just uh, flat out kind of destroyed out there. But we had our moments where we kept it close, but ultimately, um, yeah, we weren't able to get the job done. It was a... It felt like watching a repeat of uh, a lot of our losses this season. But I have to say, we didn't get blown out, so it was an improvement 
Our colleague Ben Parker said he was glad he didn't have to use a thesaurus to explain uh, how we're getting waxed. Running anymore. out of superlatives. Yeah. So, like, it was a little close. It was a nine-point game, 68-59. So yeah, that's def- a silver lining if you're going to look for one. I definitely saw that this was a... At one point, it was, I believe, an 18-point game, or it was some, like, large margin. Yeah, we came back from 18, um, and we actually had the lead for one point, I think, with, like, eight minutes to go and a half. Um, 54, 53, and then we just... Wyking said we got tired with our comeback and that we just got gassed and weren't able to maintain the energy. But, yeah, in any event, we weren't able to keep the lead and, yeah, it was our eighth straight loss in a row. Well, that's definitely the byproduct of having to come back from a game in Mm -hmm. that not only do you have to make up the difference, if you do want to win that game, you have to make up the difference and then some. Yeah. Um, Sort of pick up on more of the, the general... Uh, stats of that game it was another horrible night offensively mm. as you can see by the 59 point mark that was the third consecutive game in which Cal did not crack the my 60 god. point mark my god and this was coming from a team that heading into conference play managed to be one of the better offensive teams in the country it was a top 100 offense yeah and that's completely <laughs> fallen yeah. off a cliff um, Roman Davis made a second consecutive start what uh, that's that's something we have a lot of thoughts on. Yeah, it's, it's more deserving of our thoughts rather than just throwing that out there. Mm. Uh, as I said, the Buffaloes did lead by as much as 18 points, but Cal came all the way back to take the lead. But right after they took the lead, Colorado answered with seven unanswered points of their own. McKinley right, kind of uh, with the dagger three at the end there. McKinley right with a couple daggers. Yeah. Lucas Seward led Colorado with 18 points, Tyler Bay with 17 points, and 14 rebounds. This is a Cal team that is not great at rebounding, and the past two games especially, you've really seen that on display. Mm -hmm. Also, the three-point shooting really fell off. We only shot um, 24% from three, and for a team that was actually like... Weren't we the most efficient shooting team in the Pac-12 at one point? Heading into conference play, Cal, I believe they were... three. Yeah, I believe Cal was shooting 38% from three. Yeah, and then we shoot... We didn't make one three during the entire first half against Colorado, and we ended up going five for 21. Um, so that was kind of an aberration, actually, but that kind of sunk us, and we also missed a lot of free throws that game. Would you consider it an aberration or sort of the new normal for Cal? Well, they shot a lot better tonight against Utah, which we'll get into. So, yeah, I, I'll... I'd like to think it's an aberration, but it's also just another example of the inconsistency with this team. You never know what you're going to get game to game. Because this Colorado game, what did you say they shot from three? Uh, Cal? Yeah. 24%. That can, This game came a game out. It was their next game after shooting one of 15 against Washington. Mm. Now, you can also say, okay, that's Washington, but... Yeah, a lot and of length. Colorado, uh, they, <laughs> they have a solid defense in and of themselves, yeah. but, you know, two consecutive games in a string of losses in which they have... They have fallen off well. from three. It's been a slow uh, regression from there. But, yeah, the, you're right. The Washington game and the Colorado game are, like, pretty dramatic. In that Colorado game as well, Justice Suing and Paris Boston with 13 points each, Matt Bradley with 12 points. Uh, as I said, I wasn't able to catch this game. I was, uh, I was at work, and when I got home from work, one of the things I wanted to do 
was I wanted to, as I do with every other Pac-12 game, you know, I also do the power rankings. So I like to watch the extended highlights, sort of gauge yeah, of course. what happened in the game. You know, logical. Yeah. Um, Doing the homework. Watching film. Watching the as film. As King loves to say. Uh, unfortunately, when I went to watch the Pac-12 extended highlights, uh, I clicked on it. There was definitely a picture of Cal. It was definitely a picture of Colorado. It definitely said Cal Colorado extended highlights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I do have these new pair of glasses, but I can definitely read without the glasses that it said that. Yep. Uh, the video that was playing was the extended highlights recap for Washington, Oregon. That so, doesn't sound like an accident to me. That sounds like it was on purpose. So I went to the Washington, Oregon highlights to see if, oh, maybe the games got swapped. Mm. No, it was Washington, Oregon and so, <laughs> so then they I don't want you to see it, man. Someone out it's there, it's a cover up. Someone out there doesn't want me to see the Larry Cal Scott Colorado cover highlights. Up. But Stay so woke. I, I ended up having to sell for the abridge, the the very abridged one minute and twenty second highlights. And I think I saw like two plays from alternate angles. So, is I guess this is a you know you I guess, saw two plays in total. It's probably an exaggeration. Wow. But not that many well, pl- Do you remember what plays. the play was? I'm just curious now. One of them was definitely McKinley Wright's dagger. So it wasn't a Roman Davis Euro step that went <laughs> off the side of the backboard. You, you were texting you texted me about this play. I hope that's somewhere on the interwebs. The, it has to be it has to be somewhere. The Pac twelve definitely has to have that footage somewhere. I mean, he might want them to scrub it, but that was if uh, if anything could sum up the Cal basketball season, it was that moment. It was incredible. I would say the Pac-12 going to extreme lengths. Well, they may not. They may not be. You know, this just might be technical difficulties. But or, if they are going to these lengths to cover up the Cal highlights, maybe this is somewhere akin to the LeBron uh, Nike hide the tapes. Not, wait, Nike hid tapes. There's like this running joke where I think there was a camp several years ago, and LeBron. Oh, got, where he got dunked on. Yes, where he got dunked. Oh, on. that. Yeah. And then the whole Nike delete the tapes thing. So and Cal's just been getting dunked on collectively. So speaking of dunked on, I I definitely got to give a shout out to Nas Carter of Washington, Jay Z's nephew. He put Kyler Kelly, the leading shot blocker in the nation, on one of the most vicious posters that I've seen this season. Arguably better the rock. than Zylan Cheatham posterizing Kenny Wooten, especially because Nas Carter's a guard and Kyler Kelly is. What a seven foot shot blocking machine with a ridiculous wingspan. So, gotta definitely give the shout that was out nasty. to nasty. To Hove. Yeah. Baby Hove. So, it was Peyton Pritchard last week or last podcast that was the best Pac 12 play of the week. And then this is probably. This definitely. This has probably. to be this week, right? Jalen Hands also had a really nice dunk against Arizona yeah. State, a game that UCLA ended up losing on their home court. So, yeah. Not fun for UCLA. <laughs> no. It's nope. never fun for UCLA. No more parties it's in LA. It's a roller coaster. No more parties in LA, as as I like to name the last mm-hmm. podcast. Yep. But switching over gears to the Utah game, as we previously said, this this was a game. This game did happen. We were there. Uh, it in was the stands. We were in the stands this time, just Man because experience. Because uh, for some reason, press row was a. Uh, it was looking like the the um, the LA freeways during yeah. rush hour. I don't pretty know. congested. It, it, it drew a lot of eyes. I don't know why. Just for, for it was a Pete Newell classic. Pete Newell classic. The uh, what was it? The it was the nineteen fifty nine team that was commemorated mm-hmm. at halftime. Oh, how the how the tides. What have do changed. you think the betting line would be if the current 
1959 <laughs> team went no, up no, against no. our Cal team? I'm going to give you the political answer. It would definitely be a game. There, A lot of points would be scored, and, and a Cal, Cal would win. Do you think we'd still get out-rebounded? I think Cal would even... I think they got a lot of size on that 1953 team. They're like 80 years old, but... I think that 1959 team had Daryl Imhoff, and I'll have to go back and fact-check this, but Daryl, if they did have Daryl Imhoff, that means... If you'll remember, Imhoff was the person who was guarding Will Chamberlain when he put up his 100-point game. Oh, look at this deep basketball knowledge. (laughs) My lord. The Cal lineage goes back far. Wow, and somehow we're always losing in sports history. It's kind of sad. I would say the the really sad thing about the 1959 team getting commemorated at halftime is that you won't find a single jersey or banner hanging up in the rafters. Yeah, we talked about this. uh, There's not enough room for it, right? I don't know what the rationale is. I can't. I don't think the ra- like it's a good rationale. No. In all honesty, like it's they, lame. They have them hanging in like the hallways as you're walking around the arena, but like that's not the same. That's not the same. Like objectively, that's not the same. No. But switching back to Utah, an 82-64 loss. Their ninth consecutive loss. It snapped it with the 64 points. Mm. It snapped a five-game streak, in which Cal failed to score at least 70 and failed to shoot 40 percent from the field. Uh, suffice it to say, they were. I would say, even with the loss, I'd say Cal's pretty happy to at least score 64 points. I mean, it's improvement, yeah. Baby steps. Very, baby steps. Very, very small baby steps. I mean, we'll have to watch the film first to decide. <laughs> but, yeah, right now, as it stands. Even though the, the game did end with 18 points, uh, with Utah winning by 18 points, it was definitely an entertaining first half. Yeah. And both teams really shooting the lights out. Utah had 46 in the first half on 54.8% shooting. And Cal had 42. Jackie Robinson in the first half. 42. <laughs> I don't know why that was. Okay, I'd rather Mariano Rivera. Wow. Mariano Rivera. This just, Cal Hoops team and Jackie Robinson. Mariano Rivera. Same <laughs> sentence. That is unbelievable. Let's, let's shift gears to Mariano <laughs> Rivera. We got to pay homage to the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah, closer. shout out. First unanimous. I, mean, I hate the Yankees, so I'm not. Super pumped about First it. First unanimous. Yeah. So, anyhow, <laughs> this, there's, a, there's a thought that this game would at least be close. It seemed for every punch. There was Cal, a thought. Yeah. For every punch, there was Cal Surf had a counter punch. And then in the second half, not so competitive. Cal looked much more, for lack of a better term, they, mo- they looked like Cal in the second half. 22 points on 36% shooting. There was definitely a point in which it sort of looked a lot more similar to an RSF offense, where it was like, it was... For those that don't know the RSF, do you want to explain? For those that don't know the RSF, it is Cal's, the University of California, Berkeley's gym. Recreation facility. Recreational facility. And there's about three... And the style of games there, what are they like? I would say... More, more advanced than Cal's offense? <laughs> it definitely depends on who you're playing, because I've definitely played some some guys that, like, know how to run, like, ball hand. Like, yeah. they're, they're, they're doing hand-off. screens. Yeah, and I'm just, like, I'll see them, like, sort of motioning for me to come this way, and yeah. I'm like, I thought we were just playing pickup and passing, but, like, okay, I guess we're running horn sets. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's what's going on. We're gonna I think Wyking, he's talking about a scouting trip. He might be going to the RSF this <laughs> Monday and Tuesday. I think that, that's my... 
Yo, you know what the craziest stat from this game is, though? Correct me if I'm wrong, but Justice is the only guy who scored in double digits. That's the first half, Fox. Oh, that's the first half? Okay. <laughs> I was like, that's blowing my mind. Nah, Justice did, he did lead the team with 20 points on 7 of 13 shooting. He also had 7 rebounds, 2 assists, and 3 steals. A stat stuffer for, for ah, I can't speak English anymore. Stat stuffer of a performance. Did I say that right? I did say that right. I think so. Uh, Darius McNeil with 15 points on 6 of 13 shooting. Matt Bradley, 11 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists. On the flip side of that, Cedric Bearfield, another fellow Filipino. I guess I'd... Correlation, causation, but yeah. like... Pac-12 historic number of Filipino players, which is only two, but I guess... You, Remy and... Uh, Remy and Cedric. Okay. If you want to count Pacific Islanders, you have Justice, who's three. Okay. I, I mean, get, might as well. Might as well have... Make it a party. <laughs> representation. Yeah. So again, Cedric... Ba- <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, I tried, Emily. <laughs> Emily, I know you're going to listen to this. I want you to know, I tried, um, but there was an editorial decision. So, there was that's some, all I'm going to say. There was, there was some information that we yeah. had to keep behind the curtains. But, uh, <laughs> but Bearfield with a game-high 21 points. He hit five three-pointers. Uh, both Gotch with 18 points off the bench on 7 of 10 shooting. Timmy Allen with 17 points and 12 rebounds. My one takeaway from this is that I just don't think... This is going to come off as me sounding mean, but I just really don't think Cal should ever play zone defense ever again for the rest of the season wow it sounds like a very wow it's a very it comes off as a very hot take but i think if if you do go back and you look at the film there were when cal was running a zone defense there was three times in like the i think they only ran it for like three minutes there was three three three-pointers that were just ridiculously wide open I think if he like every cow player stood like arm to arm, there that's like that's how wide open this player yeah. was, and you know they've Cal has tried to play a zone defense and you know experiment with a zone defense throughout the season, but I think it should be left as that an experiment and just leave it at man to man, and but man to man is not great either because they don't really communicate on the uh, ball screens. Like, sort of. They were trying to switch one through four, but it wasn't going very well, <laughs> obviously. Um, I think at this point, it's just you choose the lesser of two evils and just go with them playing man-to-man. Yeah. Because when you do have zone... So, I was listening to one of the... I think I was listening to the, the Pac-12's podcast hosted by... Mike Yam, who actually did come to the Daily Californian office to speak with us way back when. And I think there was a discussion point where because there's so much turnover in the Pac-12, you have so many players moving from team to team, whether that be by draft or transfer, that zone defense actually is the easier of the two to teach. It's just like, go cover this region, do this, do that. But in the case of Cal... While they have had some roster turnover, I just don't think, as currently presented, the, t- the personnel they do have is equipped to handle the zone, especially considering... I'm sorry th- to interrupt. I don't know if you saw this, but we moved up one spot in defensive rating to 351st from 352nd. 
So. Some gradual improvement. You know, hey, maybe, baby steps. Baby steps. <laughs> Again, baby steps. That's the that, that's the other theme of this podcast. Just baby steps. Is that the title? That might be the title. That right? might just be the title right then and there. Yeah. But there you, go. you know, there have like there are good reasons to use a zone defense, mm-hmm. as, but especially with a team like Utah who does like to shoot the three anyways. And because Utah didn't really have that much trouble penetrating the zone defense, it was kind of counterintuitive for yeah, Cal to run no the zone. Sense. Yeah. So, uh, with that being said, with our sort of recaps of the game um, out of the way, let's hear what Viking Jones had to say after Cal's latest loss to Utah. Well, um, before the game, I challenged the guys. We've been talking about putting 40 minutes together. And, you know, before the game, I said, you know what, fellas? Let's 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 put together 20, 20 minutes first. Let's 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 focus on twenty, and then we'll come back at, at halftime and, and regroup and talk about it, and, and then put together 20, 20 in the second half. And I felt like we were able to do that. They hit some unbelievable shots um, in the first half. We were able to match it. Um, you know, we knocked down seven threes in the first half, and so we hit shots in the first half. And in the second half, I felt like we settled. Too much. We had mismatches. They, they played a matchup zone. We're the quicker uh, team. Uh, I felt like we, 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 we took too many pull-ups, tough, contested pull-ups. Um, and I think that that really hurt us on the offensive end. And, you know, with every team, when you can't score or you go through a scoring drought, you know, the energy and execution on defense uh, seems to take a toll. And... Um, you know, when you, when you can't score, it's tough. And so, to me, that's that's what happened uh, tonight. I'm going to watch the film, and I'm pretty sure that they probably won 80% of, of, of the 50-50 balls. They could have went either way. Uh, you know, they all rebound was 42 to 25. I'm, I'm almost positive that it's probably 80% or more that they won 50-50 plays. And that just comes down to, to toughness, and that just comes down to fight. And... Um, and really just kind of wanting it, you know? And uh, you know, we have to we have to get better in that area. Coach, you, you talked uh, the other night about the fact that they're a very good three-point shooting team, and your players just told us that it was an emphasis yesterday in practice. Mm-hmm. And yet they, they hit 11 in the first half. What do you think happened there? Well, it started off in, in the zone. Um, you know, they, they, made us, they made us take some long slides to, to get, they ran rally bad into the, to the, to the corner and made us made us make some long slides to get to him, and they started off knocking a few down out of the zone. Once we matched up, I, I didn't like our communication. You know, we, we, like I said, we, we switched one through four uh, in, our, in our man, and, and I didn't like our, our communication. I didn't like uh, we weren't coming together uh, on the switches, and so we were giving them space. We were giving them space. I mean, it's just that simple. We were giving them space. You've talked the past couple weeks over wanting to see more effort from the team. Did you see any of that out there tonight? Yeah, I saw fight and effort in the first half. Yeah, I did. And, 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 and I saw fight and effort in the second half. You know, we just couldn't score. You know, and, and, it, and it, was, it was on us because we were settling for contested pull-ups. And, um, you know, we could have gotten to the rim more than we did uh, today. And so... You know, that's going to be something that we look at when we watch film. And, and, and you know, we're, we were the quicker team, and, and we didn't exploit that today. Yeah, I asked Justice about this. But you guys got to only 10 times. Um, obviously, that's a strength of your street, but what do you 
just talk about your lack of. Well, it's, 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 a, it's directly related to what I just said. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't get into the lane and look to get something at the rim. You know, if we would have been more aggressive and, and looked to, to attack their slower players, bigger players, bigger but slower, um, we would have gotten to the line a whole lot more. And um, and then obviously, you know, we go five for ten. We're a really good three point free, free throw shooting team, and, and we didn't we didn't knock them down today. But but we should have gotten to the line twenty times. You know, we should have gotten to the line twenty times, just because on, on, we should have been able to attack their closeouts a whole lot better than what we did. Mikey, this is no doubt a difficult stretch for your players mm -hmm. and for the coaching staff. What, what are you trying to do this week with a long week to sort of buoy their spirits and keep them on target and, and you know, get them ready for Sunday and Stanford? we got to get away from each other for a little bit. You know, so we have, we have a long break, and, and my, my staff and I, we're going to go out and recruit on Monday and Tuesday, and we're going to have the guys shoot. We're going to have the guys um, get together. I'm, I'll put together a workout, and, and, and they'll do some individual workouts on Monday and Tuesday, and then we'll give them Wednesday off, and we'll we'll reconvene and come together on Thursday, Friday, Saturday to prepare for Stanford. And so I think I think we just we just need a break. You know, everybody's just kind of, you know, uh, we're all competitors. We all have pride. Um, you know, this just doesn't feel good. And so, you know, hit the reset button. You know, take a break and then come back together and and and, and figure it out. So, um, Rory. They're going to get away from each other. I believe you have some thoughts on uh, this particular, this, this method. I think Y-King is leaving the country. I think he's abandoning Cal. I don't know if we're ever going to see him again. He says he's going on a recruiting trip Monday, Tuesday. Um, that's a likely cover story. I see Cabo in his future. Do you think he could be going to Canada? Maybe Canada? The to get the Canadian player of the week? The next Lugans Dort? Yeah. The next uh, RJ Barrett? All I know is, like, Viking is going to get very, very far from this team. He may start acting again. Um, started <laughs> his fourth successful career. Um, Cal actually does have a Canadian recruit for next year's team. See? Joel Brown. He's leaving breadcrumbs. We just need to follow him. No, but in all honesty, this is ludicrous. Like, of all the things Viking has said this year, this was the one that had my eyebrows raised the highest. Um, it was almost going up in my forehead. It was. <laughs> it's always, almost sounds like a parent trying to get away from their kids and they're dropping them off at grandma's to uh, get a little break from the children. Um, but that's for parenting. This is coaching. <laughs> You need to improve the team, and I don't know if, you know, kind of staying away from your team and no one working on things with the team is really going to translate to wins, but I don't know, call me crazy. And I think it's especially, it's worth noting that they have one game this week. In terms of rivalry and historical oh implications, God. it's probably the most important there's a lot of important games this year, but it's probably one of the more important games of the season. Should we, should we talk about this, the, yes. the whole scheduling? The game we're talking about right now is next Sunday's, so as of recording, that's February 3rd, I believe. Mm -hmm. February 3rd's huh. game against Stanford. Oh, February 3rd, huh? Now, I wonder what that could be. If you're wondering why February 3rd is, it sounds similar 
It's because February 3rd is the same day as... The, well, we can't call it the actual name because I guess that's a thing where you can't call the game its actual title. But the big game, that, that football game that's happening between that one team on the East Coast and that one team on the West Coast yeah. that had the quarterback that went to Cal, you know, that yeah, game? Yeah, I've heard about that. That game is coinciding with... I think with, a lot of people watch it. Yeah, definitely yeah. a lot of people watch it. Good commercials are... It... Cohen, so the Stanford Cal game coincides with this very important football game, <laughs> and um, well, huh? How does that happen? Who who made the schedule here? Is this the Pac-12's fault? Is this Cal's fault? I'd like to think it's Stanford's fault. Um, <laughs> the daily, the daily, uh, the, <laughs> the Stanford Daily. Yeah. Who knows? Um, but that all but guarantees that no one's going to show up to this game, even though it's a quote-unquote gold-out game where they give out gold T-shirts for us to make it look like an NBA playoff game where everyone's wearing the same color T-shirt. Um, but I assume the crowd is going to be pretty dead that game for basically our biggest rivalry game of the year. So that's kind of disappointing. The I'm only- not sure how that happened. I'm not sure how that happened either. It's, it's very... It's crazy. It's it's a very strange coincidence, but it kind of reminds me of last year's Cal-Stanford game at Maples, and I think that game either happened, it was December 30th or December 31st, I actually went to Palo Alto to cover that game, and what was memorable about that game specifically was, it was a rivalry game, first and foremost, but it happened... It was scheduled after all the students basically left. Like, finals had long been over, and Stanford's head coach actually alluded to that. It was the fact that, you know, why would, why is, for lack, for, just to simplify, why was this very important rivalry game being scheduled when no one's here? Now, there was definitely still a, no, a noticeable turnout, but you gotta imagine if this game happened in like February or March or April, it would definitely, well, they don't play in April. I'm, it's delusional hours. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this would never happen with Duke and North Carolina or, you know, so any was, big rivalry game. So it's just ridiculous that they do this to Stanford and Cal. I'm actually going to be covering this game. So... I'm, Pray for justice. I'm going to be really interested to see what the turnout is because I think it could go one of two ways. On one hand, you could have... A lot of the students coming out because the game, I believe, there's like a two-hour difference between the start of the Stanford game and the start of that other football game. Mm. So on one hand, what you could have is you could have, you know, students go, they go to the Cal-Stanford game, do what they got to do, watch Cal based on stats and likelihood watch Cal more than likely lose and then go to Pappy's or whoever knows where and watch the Super Bowl or if it sort of bleeds into the oh I actually did say well I guess we're gonna get copyright but (laughs) 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 or on the flip side of that you could just have a lot of people not showing up and uh, considering probably that considering Cal is 5 and 15 on the season and they've lost 9 straight and there's a strong likelihood they lose 10 straight. It's probably the latter. That's kind of amazing if that's their 10th straight loss. 
on that special special days <laughs> to decide the uh, world championship. Um, that's just kind of ironic to me. But, so yeah. So as I mentioned, as we mentioned, Cal is now zero and eight in conference, and with with the jump from loss seven to loss eight. The good folks over at Kent, or folk, whoever, I don't know if there's how many yeah, people we don't they have know. running. Because I know there's <laughs> Ken, Ken Pomeroy. Is a robot? There's Ken Pomeroy. He's an actual person. Are we sure? Allegedly. <laughs> have you ever <laughs> seen him in person, Justice? Have you ever shook the man's hand? <laughs> but Ken Pom. Stay the, woke. The site. Uh, I forgot what the exact number is we had that we announced after uh, during the last podcast, but I believe it was in the fours, like 4.2. Mm-hmm. So... After the loss to Colorado, the seventh straight conference game that they lost, it jumped to 7.1. After the loss to Utah, mm. the chance of a winless record jumped from 7.1 to 13.6. It's climbing. Can we add the scary music in the editing <laughs> after you say 13? Like the dun dun dun. I think it should be a lot higher at this point because who's it, who's our schedule? I mean, we got teams we've already lost to USC, UCLA, right? The only uh, teams that Cal has yet to play in any facet in conference play are Stanford, Oregon, and Oregon State. Yeah. So. And those aren't, I don't know if those are winnable games. The next two games against Oregon State are on the road. Those are tier. Oregon and Oregon State, yeah. A pair of tier A games. Um, it's not looking good. We said this on last podcast. It'd have to be either Colorado or Utah. There is Washington State. We gotta. We need. We have to say that there is at least Washington State at home. But after the way they smacked us, like absolutely wiped the floor with us in front of two people at Washington <laughs> State. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I don't like our chances. I mean, how could you? It so, wasn't even close. So I will note that, you know, prior to the game, I was having a conversation with a, a couple of the other beat writers who cover Cal, and the reason I bring this up is, be- I forgot when I initially brought it up, but when I initially introduced the idea of Cal potentially going winless in conference, I think I said this on the last podcast, but they scoffed and said, no, they'll at least yeah. get one, and <laughs> when we were talking today... I'm not going to name names, but one one writer was very adamant that they would win at least one. But I think that it previously it was like two or three. So I think the, I think even governance base is now even the confidence is sort of waning on all fronts. Even even from the optimistic perspective, it's hard to look at Cal's current situation and the way that they've played and the way they've gotten smacked in conference play, and say, oh, they could win a game when another team is at the top of their performance. And I think that's all that they can really hope for at this point, that you catch Washington State on a bad night, that you catch Stanford when they have a bad night. Because if these teams are playing to their potential, even even Washington State, when these teams are playing to their potential, and when Cal plays the way it has played, even if Cal plays to their potential... It's very difficult to envision a scenario in which Cal wins more than one game or considering how this how it's sort of climbed even one game at this point. 
I'm not confident at all in any of the upcoming games. So, I hope I'm wrong, but if we don't win a game in conference, I'm not going to be shocked at all. I think since we're on the subject of, of Stanford and how that's the next game, I think we should we should go into a little about why that game specifically, I don't think that Cal... I don't think that's going to be another upset like yeah. it was last season. Well, they have length. That's definitely one of the big they have things. Dejon Davis. <laughs> Casey Shout Oklahoma. out YK. Can we put that clip in there? I think we'll throw that they clip in They got length. But Stanford definitely does have length. They're on paper just a very, a very what, a long team. Mm-hmm. Serena, are you leaving? No, 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 no. In the, grabbing her charger. You're grabbing your charger in the middle. This is professional. And you're trying podcast, very difficult, guys. trying very diligently to not. She's putting forth effort. You know, that's what Viking emphasized. We need more effort. We need more fight out of our team. That's so, what I'm seeing right here. So, Serena, since you're here. She's putting it all on the line. We did say we would have you have your, offer up a hot take. Mm-hmm. We didn't say it had to be about basketball. Just right. hot take about anything. Right. Bring that spice. What's well, the. My hot take. Uh, about basketball, Calman's basketball, I guess. Um, the only thing I come up with during this time you guys have been talking is that if I were Justice Suing or Darius McNeil mm-hmm. or Connor Vanover, I would transfer. Oh! And if I were Jacob Orender or any of the junior, there's one other, Jules Irving maybe, uh-huh. I would just quit the team at this point. Oh! <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, okay, okay. Transfer and quit. <laughs> okay. There we go. Okay. That's, the That's a title. That's a title team. right there. Okay, the thing about the juniors is I feel the glasses are coming off. I'm just like, I'm, <laughs> I'm flustered. Yo. I was no. not, okay, I was not expecting you to come with a take of this guy. We, hey, we have to add a bunch of air horns to that. <laughs> that is incredible. But... I think if you're a junior and you're not playing, I think if you're Jacob Orender or Jules Irving mm-hmm. or David Serge, I think you just Shout stay. out. Or Blake Welly. Even Blake Welly he, or James Zhao. That's a, yeah, that's a lot of bench Deep warmers. Cut. Those are the those are the those basically the five main bench warmers mm-hmm. for Cal. Mm-hmm. I think at this point you just stay for the degree. Don't well, be, don't try to. No, she's not saying yeah, quit Cal. Quit the she's team. saying quit the team. You're putting in all these hours for to be part of this program that you're really not getting much other than a brotherhood. Maybe that's it. Um, and, you know, of course, apparel and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that free Under Armour gear. Oh. Uh, I think that's about it. I will say, wow. okay. Wow. I would say to counter that point, I would say even if you're a bench warm, it's a good resume builder. But I, I think that this is a a good opportunity to say, like, I was on a Division One <laughs> college basketball team. Do we still team. count as a Division One team? Last time I checked... Being the worst still. team in one of the worst conferences ever? Worse than the uh, the Sun Belt Conference? The, the, Pac-12 is historically bad this year. It is historically bad. So, t- to be the worst team... I think she might be on to something. You might want to scrub this yeah. from your record. You contributed to the worst of the worst. At least it's not a... Don't question... Yeah, don't question the take. Just let the take go out there. Gotta throw some air horns in there. Yeah. These are not infinite words. Yeah. Wait, and what's your hot take? Non-sports related. Oh, um, I guess that Chick-fil-A should close. Wow. Shaylin, I hope you're 
you're listening. The South is in shambles. Shaylin is in shambles. She's driving around the neighborhood going through text. Atlanta is in shambles. Oh, my God. We have been bamboozled, hoodwinked. Serena, I was was not... There's another hot take. I think I need you to announce this. You have a distaste of a certain celebrity food person. Can you please can you please put that on wax who you do not have a have an appreciation for? I do have a certain distaste for Gordon Ramsay. Wow. The takes are just So you you've blown up Cal Basketball, a fast food franchise, and now the Food Network. My god. Ruthless. Serena's Ruthless. a killer. <laughs> and with that... <laughs> That's what Cal needs on that team. Obviously, we need some killers. Definitely do need some high energy. Yeah. I definitely do think there, there's a lot of opportunity or moments when I'll see Matt Bradley look at the refs after a foul mm-hmm. and sort of have that stare in his eye that Todd Gibson had <laughs> with the referee yesterday. Oh, yeah. It definitely wasn't very... Uh, there's definitely some moments of frustration, and I'll leave it at that, but... As I like to do with Cal, or as I like to say to y'all, watch the body language. It's definitely worth watching with some players on this team. But thank you for the hot takes. We're not ending the podcast just yet. We still got a lot. There's a lot to cover. But oh, there's a lot. Serena is leaving the building. It, again, it is, it is the Spice Queen. It's currently 9:10 on a Saturday, so we don't blame you at all. Thank you, and thank you for having me today. But Serena signing off. Golf clap. Golf clap. back um i was not expecting serena to come with a, a take of that caliber the spice queen my goodness are what what does nba desktop call their the spice correspondent yeah i think serena is just going to be our permanent uh, spice yeah correspondent. she's going to come in with that real honesty that real biting truth and I think we could both say our, our reactions were pretty genuine to that. I was not expecting that. I was not that. expecting that. <laughs> I was not expecting her to say that. But uh, getting back to actual Cal basketball, we're talking about how Stanford is a... I think that with Stanford specifically, I think considering the amount of talent they have, they haven't. it hasn't really reflected the win column, no. especially when you have someone of Casey Okpala's caliber, especially with someone of Dejon Davis's caliber. But, you know, as, as Wyking Jones alluded to, from a length perspective, it's going to be really difficult for Cal to sort of match up against Stanford. You know, Davis, Opala, Oscar Da Silva, Josh Sharma, any of those guys at any given moment have the potential to just disrupt Cal. So it's going to be interesting to see what their plan of attack is, just especially just considering everything. Just everything. Yeah, just how... I- the defense, the offense, like, how do you stop Casey Okpala? He's a 6'9 forward who averages 20 a game or 18 a game, who can shoot from distance. Cal can't really defend the three. Dejon Davis, a dynamic point guard who can who can stretch the floor. Is this more spice? This isn't even spice. This is this this is a roast. This isn't even spice. This is just straight facts. Oh my god. Oscar De Silva. Oh my god. The Silva kind of comes and goes from game to game, as I've noticed. I think what you're describing is uh, forthcoming L in a lot of words, right? I mean, a what? An L, forthcoming oh. L. That is fast approaching. The L train is coming in hot with Stanford, most likely. 
I think Stanford could Stanford could probably beat Cal just on the backs of Davis, Okpala, and De Silva alone. Yeah, I could oh, envision no a I could envision a scenario where they all score twenty. Yeah, I mean, who's gonna stop them? Juwan? Like, eh. There was a possession during the Utah game that I was. I had to go to like rethink and see if I what I saw was right, but there was a possession where Cedric Bearfield, six two, about one ninety. Just blew by Jawan like he was just another guard, and I was thinking, was this was this the Jawan who we thought was going to be a defensive stopper? It was very, you know, no. granted, it's one possession, but it was just very weird to see. I think even just if he was in a stick stance and he had his arms just sort of dangling out, I think Bearfield would have just collided with his arms at minimum. Yeah, I mean Bearfield's really good at sliding into tight spaces, and you know. Getting in there where he's not supposed to go, um, but you know he's very that, sensual basketball. Yeah, he's he's very skilled in the dark arts. Very slippery. Yeah, he's a slippery guy. You never quite know what he's up to. So speaking, okay, speaking of Jawan, <laughs> this is getting very sensual. I'm just gonna uh, I'm gonna steer this. Emily knows. <laughs> I am covering. I'm gonna steer the ship in another direction, but. Uh, speaking of Juwan, Juwan's sort of taken on this sixth-man role for Cal. Yeah. And it's a very not strange role that he's taking this on. I did think at the beginning of the season that he would probably be starting. Mm-hmm. But it has made—this isn't just centered around Juwan. This is also just an overall issue of Cal's death. Because yeah. what once was a team that could go a 9 Hell, maybe even ten on any given night. Okay, maybe not ten, oh, but yeah. eight or nine, eight <laughs> or nine players. You know, I was I was getting a little too care. Between me saying that you're thinking of the ten game losing streak, <laughs> it's in your mind. <laughs> between between me saying that the Pac-12 plays until April, and between the ten minute rotations, I'm just thinking a lot too much about bat, like NBA basketball. Yeah, <laughs> way too much. But uh, as we noted, as of late, Connor Vanover is for whatever reason, no longer a rotation player. Uh, Grant Antisevich, you know, he did have that 13-point game against San Diego State. How many minutes did he play tonight? Probably Five? Not. He kind of came and went. He, he was there, and then he was gone. Uh, Jacoby played sparingly in this game as well, and he's, you know, he did actually miss the Colorado game with an Achilles injury, but even before then, he hasn't really played too many minutes, and... So what Cal basically has is a situation very similar to last year in which they're running a six-man rotation. And in this game specifically, the Utah game, they had six players playing 26 minutes and five players playing at least 31 minutes. Do you want to run down, like, the minutes distribution of, like, the six main guys? From tonight? On Cal real quick, yeah. Just, okay. Just shout out what how many minutes they played. So McNeil, 33 minutes. Austin, 31 minutes. Suing, 38. Bradley, 31. Kelly, 27. Jawan Harris-Dyson, 26. Vanover, and a trend that's been happening, four minutes. Gordon, his first game back, four minutes. And Grant, four, uh, five minutes. This was something that, so in terms of this very small rotation, this was something that did end up happening last year in which you know, it would turn into, like, a six- or a seven-man rotation. Mm -hmm. And you can't place all the ales 
on it only being six or seven players because that's what that was the predicament that USC was in a couple weeks ago. Granted, Cal doesn't have the same caliber of talent as USC, but it's not unheard of in college basketball specifically to be stuck with a six or seven man rotation. What is a little curious for me is that I feel like if some of these players were to get extended run, I'm not saying that would fix all of Cal's problems, but I definitely think you do run the risk of burning your players out. And as we've seen with multiple injuries throughout the season, not all of them can be chalked up to fatigue. But in a season where you've seen multiple players go down with injury, you know, not nothing too serious, I would think it's the with the best intention of the players and keeping them on the floor that you run with a more extensive rotation. And also the fact that, you know, Connor, that's someone who, like, he's mainly a shooter. He has to be able to get into a rhythm. The same applies with Antishevich. The same applies with Gordon. And last year, I would have liked to have seen Deshaun Winston and Austin McCullough, you know, get a little more extended run, especially considering what I've heard from people who were sort of with the team on a day-to-day basis. I'd heard people say that McCullough was one of the best shooters, at least college shooters, that they've ever seen. And then Winston sort of, he didn't play that much, but there was definitely flashes, and he was brought into the program for a reason. And I think that Viking is sort of falling back into, not necessarily a trap, but he's falling back into his old ways. He really is. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is if he doesn't trust Connor and he doesn't trust Grant. Um, because Connor was playing a lot of minutes um, in a few games. Um, and then he seemed to grow sour on him or just not trust him. Which is, I mean, it's kind of typical of a freshman, but at the same time to go from playing 25 minutes in a game to now you're playing four minutes, I think this is the second game in a row. It might even be the third, third game, game in a row. Because I remember the Washington game, yeah, he didn't play, play that many minutes. Yeah. I'm not sure about the Washington State game, just off top, but I don't think he played that many minutes no. in that game. And I, I really don't know what... Uh, with Connor specifically, like, Grant, I understand. He hasn't really had an established track record of playing consistently. And if you were to take away that San Diego State game entirely, just wipe it out, he's probably... like His, his season average is probably just plummet. Yeah. And... You know, the same thing with Gordon. He is coming off the injury. As noted, he hasn't. He still has yet to be 100%. And so it does make sense that he plays a little sparingly and sort of play and feel out how the Achilles is feeling at a certain point in time. But the Connor one is just, it's really a head-scratcher to me. I just can't. I mean, he's rim protection and he's shooting, which are two things that Cal does not have at all. So it's almost like you have this, you know, piece that could you know, fill that hole that we have on the squad. But for whatever reason, um, White King just does not want to use him. I remember after, I believe it was the Washington game, where White King said something akin to Connor has to be able to play defense or something of that nature. He, In regards to why, he didn't pl- why Connor didn't play that much, it, the, the matter was defense. Mm-hmm. And what's really confusing to me about that is we have to acknowledge his shortcomings as a defender. He is very skinny. It's very easy to knock him off his block. Yeah. But at the same time, 
you know, he does have those long arms. He does have the height where if he's just standing straight up, he does have the ability to block shots. And there's been a lot of shots that I've seen him block where he just, he doesn't really block it. He just sticks out his arm. Yeah. And then someone's going up for the shot and it's like, no, I'm not. It's sort of like, like when you're like a 16 year old playing with a bunch of six year olds, like, no, I'm not going to let you shoot that. Mm -hmm. But what's even stranger to me, and this stat might have to, it might have to get updated because I, I looked this up before the game. But in regards to the defensive aspect, I believe in terms of per 100 possessions in conference play, Cal's second best player with the defensive rating-wise was Connor. Granted, the number was like 115, which is not good by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm assuming that the Viking and the coaching staff have a lot more access to film and stats of that nature. And I just legitimately can't think of a reason to not play Connor, especially when this is a rebuilding season. Yeah. If anything, you want, like you said, to get the experience, kind of figure out the college game um, and get comfortable out there and figure out what holes there are in his game beyond, like, the obvious ones. And that sort of brings me to... The decision to start Roman Davis the past two games. Oh God! <laughs> Over Connor. So, okay. L- let me. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to rip Roman Davis. I don't know the guy personally. I don't have a grudge against him personally. But I think we just have to acknowledge. I think I called him an energy guy earlier in the year. You did like, call. Him I was low key high on Roman you Davis. Were. Now, he did bring energy. That's the whole reason that he started against Washington is because off the bench against Washington State, he had seven rebounds. And I think against Washington, he might have had five. Yeah, he had five. Five points. And granted, this energy is a, is a thing that Cal desperately needs. And two of the players that stick out to me the most when in terms of supplying that energy are Juwan and Roman. Mm. Now, with, with that being said, though, I think... I don't think anybody that watches Cal, that has watched Cal, play basketball. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's going to disagree that Connor is by far a more valuable player in nearly every sense than Roman Davis. Now, granted, Roman is probably more like Strong. far, That's it. probably far stronger and far more athletic than Connor, mm-hmm. but. You know, I have to look this up, but I don't think Roman's ever made a three in his Cal career. And if he did, he, he's probably made either one or two. Mm. I think he's shooting below 30%. There's a lot of times when I'll see him out on the floor, and you, as you mentioned, the Euro step during the Colorado game. I mean, that was the craziest thing. There was a sequence, I don't know if you didn't watch the game, where Roman Davis took the rebound and went full Lamar Odom circa 2010 Lakers where he thought he could take the ball himself, go down the floor, and he had actually had Juwan, I think, kind of open on the wing, but he said, nah, you got this, and tried to do a Euro step, and it failed miserably. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that was it for him. I'm just looking at this. Against Washington, he um, shot one of six, so even though he had five points, that most of those came at the free throw line. And against Colorado, what was his scoring line? Let's see. Can't have been great. Um, I think he only played five minutes, even though he did start 
uh, Viking realized pretty early on that it was a bad idea. And yeah, Roman Davis 0 of 3 <laughs> with zero points and two rebounds against Colorado. Did Connor end up playing in that game? He did. Connor did. He, did. he didn't score either. They both played six no. minutes and neither of them scored. <laughs> that's not. That's, yeah. It's not good. He did have a block though. He had one of those. Yep. Those sixteen to six year old blocks when it. They just, actually put it on the Cal Twitter. They did. Yeah, they showed it. One of the up. the few highlights from that yeah. game. But so playing. Okay, so the decision for Viking Jones to start Roman Davis over Connor Vanover, that's one thing. But again, it's even more of a head scratcher when you consider that. In all honesty, Roman Davis is not going to be part of this team's future. If So right now, he's a redshirt junior. If he wants to, he can probably graduate after... Serena wants him to quit. <laughs> well, Roman's... Act, he's, he's played, so I don't know if Roman falls into that category. Yeah, maybe, just, maybe just graduate. I, I would say Serena's just telling him to graduate at this point. <laughs> but... So he is... so. Academic senior, redshirt junior. Mm. So, he's not going to be a part of the long-term future. But no. you know who is going to be a part of the long-term future if he decides to stay? So we hope. Connor Vanover. Which makes these decisions to not play him for more than a few minutes at a time all the more strange. But what does make sense, as one of our colleagues pointed out, is if you're coaching for your job, you make short-term decisions, right, instead of long-term decisions. Because you don't know if you're going to be around for the long-term big picture. So if you're Viking, maybe you look at Connor, you say, he's a project. I can't trust him right now. Roman Davis, for all his flaws, is a redshirt junior and is a bit more used to the college game. And I'm coaching for my job here. You know, I'll go with Roman Davis instead. That's the only reasoning I can see for playing Roman Davis over Connor Vanover. And it is a sign that, I mean, he is he is coaching for his job. I mean, nine-game losing streak, back-to-back seasons. How could you not be? But even at that, if you're... Let's just say, hypothetically, Viking is coaching for his job. Yeah. It's Starting Roman Davis is still not the correct decision to make in terms of putting the most talented player on the floor. Mm-hmm. Now... Again, I just I just don't want this to sound like I'm turning this into a Roman Davis row session. But as just as someone who has covered the team, it's you know, he last year he played sparingly. He did have a, one solid game. I think it actually came against Washington State. But let me just read off some stats. Now, these aren't uh, these aren't considering that Connor has played a uh, very few minutes and it's sort of uh, depressed his stats, but this is before the Utah game, so the Utah game has not been accounted for. So this is after the Colorado game, these stats I'm reading off. But uh, in the 16 games, again, before the, col- the uh, Utah game, Connor was averaging 4.7 points, 1.8 rebound per game, and shooting 44.1 from the field, 52.6% on twos, and 33% from three. You know, not world-breaking stats, but... You know, solid as a role player, especially when you're only playing 11 minutes a game, which is, again, the 11 minutes is sort of a game, is it sort of factors into those de- depreciated stats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Roman Davis, again, before the Utah game, in 14 games was averaging 1.1 points, two rebounds, on 25% shooting. 
And Roman Davis actually didn't even play today because he didn't dress. I didn't see the reason why. But even at that, if both players are completely healthy, and if you were to throw them out 20 minutes and just let them play in the normal flow of the game as they would, I think we can we can both agree pretty pretty like based on facts and previous games that Connor would produce more. And we've seen him yes. produce more. I mean, he's just flat out a better player, I think. So, you got to play your better players as you're saying. But I guess I don't know, it must be a level of trust or he doesn't feel like Connor's putting forth the effort which is something he seems to emphasize a lot. I mean, I'm grasping for reasons here. Well, maybe it goes back to the whole tough love thing we were talking uh, about last week, but I can't imagine what the reason would be. I have no idea. Hey, quickly, before we move on, what did you think of uh, Paris Austin tonight? He was, I think, one of seven. I was... Only two assists. I was not a fan of the way that Paris Austin played tonight. And yeah. it was... It goes more, it goes beyond him not hitting shots. One of the trends in NBA basketball specifically, and college basketball as well, is sort of we're moving away from the mid-range shot. And we've seen this with the Houston rocketification of the NBA. It's either threes or twos, or threes or layups, and it's it hasn't gone to that extreme degree with every team. You know, we still... But, I mean, they're taking every year, it's the lowest amount of mid-range shots that have been taken. It's going down. Yeah. And this game, by my count, again, I don't have the the synergy stats accessed, but I believe that Paris Austin took four long twos that were a step inside the three-point line. And he, like, took a dribble into them, and then he took them defender in hand. And, yeah, those are shots that he does take. But that's the most inefficient shot that you could possibly take. You're about a foot away from the three-point line. He has sort of flirted with the three-pointer in non-conference play and a little bit in conference play, and I would just much rather see him take that shot. This was something that I talked about at the very beginning of the year. Just please take the three. We both noted that he does... His release is a little weird. He shoots on the way down. A lot weird. Which, if you're shooting on the way down, you have to... It's pretty broken. Yeah, it's and it looks worse. Sometimes he's like a little fluid if he's like feeling himself a little bit. But tonight it was like all jacked up. It was disgusting to watch. Honestly, it's not the best shot in the world. And but go- as a point guard, do you think? Because the way I measure is like every point guard is gonna have an off night, right? Shooting the ball, but you still have to do your job as a point guard and get the rest of your teammates involved. And to me, for him to only have two assists when he's in an off-shooting night. I mean, that's troubling to me, and that's kind of one of the main problems of this team is, like you said, we don't really have a plan B. You know, we don't... When things go wrong, they go wrong really fast, and there's no, like, recovery. There's no alternative. There's no adaptation. And, you know, if Paris is having a bad shoot night, I'd like to see him at least get, you know, five assists. He's still involved on the offensive end, but... He did not really produce anything tonight. I hate to use the term disappeared, but... And Cedric had 21. How many of those were on him? Right? As I, yeah, as I was saying, I hate to use the 
the term disappeared. I think it's a mm. very, like... It's sort of like you weren't watching the game, and it's, it's like, yeah, he disappeared. It's because, like, you weren't looking out for him. But with that being said, there was a lot of instances tonight where... I think this didn't help that I wasn't... I didn't have my laptop in front of me. I was taking notes on my phone and just trying to watch the game. But I think in, in that, I got, like, sort of the fans' perspective. And in that, I, there were just a lot of moments when I kind of forgot that Paris Austin was on the floor. Yeah, I mean, did he have any rebounds? Which, it's weird to uh, say because he played 31 minutes. Yeah, that's what's crazy. I mean, he had two rebounds. And granted, he is... He's not... He is, like, 5'11". And he so. had four turn- turnovers. It wasn't the... The yeah. greatest game. That's Paris by far his worst game of the year, right? It has to be. It was Fresno State worst game? No, he kind of played. He played well, well in the that. Fresno State game. But I'm looking at this. He was a minus 31. Jesus. I don't. How was that I possible? I mean, plus minus stats are like, you know, you yeah. can't read too much into it, but man, that's bad. Yeah. That's really bad. And I think this game has sort of been the accumulation of what has been happening in since the beginning of non conference play. Now. Yeah. I don't have the exact stats in front of me just because I, re- I rely heavily on sports reference and basketball reference when it comes to pregame stats, and they usually don't update until... Takes a day. Yeah, they don't update until the day after. But, you know, shout out to sports reference. It's, it's a very useful database in terms of accessing mm-hmm. specific stats that you're looking for. But this sort of had, like, a game like tonight, and it's definitely not going to help him in the box score and season totals and conference totals... But he definitely hasn't been the same quality of player that he's played that he was during non-conference play. Now, a lot of that can be attributed to bigger defenders. He's not able to get to the rim as much as he'd like to, and it does force him to settle for that mid-range shot. And this would be a point where I would have liked to see the three-pointer become more of a tool in his tool belt, especially considering he took a year off because of NCAA transfer regulations. And when you see him attempting .83s a game in conference play, again, this is heading into today's game, uh, .83 pointers and shooting 25%, it does bring into question, you know, I'm not saying that he wasn't working in the offseason or last year while he was ineligible, and ineligible to play, but I feel feel like if you have a year to just do nothing but shoot the three and improve on the three, whether it's off the dribble or the catch and shoot, I feel like there has to be some type of improvement there. It might go back to the fact that his jump shot is a little a little funky. It's a little hard to hit the three when he's releasing it on the way down. But we got shock doctors galore. Exactly. And he's also, it's also strange that, you know, one of his mentors growing up was Damian Lillard one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. And, you know, okay, I don't... Just to clarify, I don't know the personal relationships of Paris Austin, but this is just me based on... This is just me speculating based on things that I've seen on his Instagram and things that he's told me. I feel like if one of your... Like, someone that you know is one of the best shooters, even in NBA history, I think that's fair to say. Oh, yeah. I think he could have called up Dame at some point or texted him and say, hey, I want to get better at my shot. How do I go about doing so? Because we've seen in the NBA, it's not just the players themselves. we got shot doctors galore. Yeah. I mean, all over YouTube. Like <laughs> Drew Hanlon of, of note. You know, he, he tried with Markel Fultz. Yeah. But he, he had Bradley Beal. 
he did help. Justice Man. Winslow, I think. Yeah. So but th- that's just, yeah. I mean, it looks so fundamentally broken. Like I don't think he's capable of shooting three. Um, and you're right. I mean, if you had a year to work on your shot, you'd hope that it'd at least be fundamentally correct. But he's doing everything wrong with that shot. And it's, this uh, it's really bad. And you know, we've already talked about this in regards to Jawan, how you know, however many games into his college career, and he's still yet to hit a three. And you know, again, we don't have the synergy stats on this, but a lot of those threes have been. Some of those threes have been air balls. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of shocked me that we're this far into Juwan's career and no team has yet to give him the Ben Simmons treatment. Just don't play anybody within three players' arms reach of him and just completely neutralize him because he, he could get that head of steam going towards the rim, but you know how Pac-12 refs like to call offensive fouls. Mm. And, you know, he does have to have a floater game, but it's if you can't make it three, how's your touch on the floater going to be? I don't know. What are your sort of thoughts on Jawan? I don't want to... I, lo- I mean, Jawan, man, you look at the guy and you're like... I mean, we had a conversation a few podcasts ago about Jawan. We are like, man, he's got so much potential. He's got the body. He's got the effort. I mean, he really tries out there. Um, so he can be a great player. And he was pretty highly rated out of high school. Um, so there's a lot of potential there, as I was saying, but there's no development. I haven't seen any improvements in his game. He's not a threat on the offensive end. He doesn't even uh, shoot that much. I mean, his attempts are usually under five or six field goals a game. So he's not even looking for a shot out there. Um, and he provides, you know... A, a lot of energy on the defensive end, but he also commits a lot of stupid fouls and isn't as great a defender as you would think. I mean, he gets blown by guys uh, like Cedric Bearfield tonight, so he's kind of a quintessential unfulfilled potential player for Cal, and it begs the question of what are these coaches doing with individuals, with the individual workouts? Are they emphasizing this is your weakness, this is what you need to work on the entire week or the entire summer? Because it doesn't seem like that with the product on the court. Well, as Viking said, (laughs) he's going to go recruit and assign them individual workouts. So maybe he works on a shot. Maybe that's the shot. It's saying you'll figure it out in a week. I mean, that's unrealistic. What were we doing? during football season when you were you know they're off season it's kind of struggling but the one player who is consistently producing is Justice Suing not me Justice Suing Justice Suing is he is our one guy and we were saying earlier we'd like to see him shoot more right I definitely would like to see the ball in his hands a lot more you were bringing up the point that you'd like to see him you know be a lot more of a point forward and just bring the ball up and why not I mean, he's going to draw the defense. He's the one threat that we have. So I'd actually take the ball out. I mean, I get Paris's game is, you know, he's going to bring it up the floor and find the soft spots in the defense. But honestly, I think we might be more dynamic as a team if we have a justice bring the ball up, you know, draw some defenders and either get fouled. He's a great free throw shooter. Um I think he shoots like around like 85% from the line or something. You can fact check me up. 83. Um, 
or he'll finish through guys. He's super strong. He's athletic. Or, you know, he'll find guys on the perimeter, get some open shots for McNeil and Bradley, two rhythm shooters, maybe even Vanover if he starts playing more. So Justice is a guy you can do a lot with, and he's very consistent, and he's pretty mentally strong. I mean, no matter how bad the team's playing, he's usually out there putting in work and putting up stats. There's been a lot of times recently where he'll be the one to come out to the post-game press conferences. Uh, yeah. The one thing about, I would say one of my one, I would say criticism of Justice, and this is something that I've noticed, especially this year, and you see it with Darius too a little bit, is just their body language yeah. at certain points, and there's definitely the moments of frustration, and you know, you got to be able to just hold that in, because if, especially when you go against teams that smell blood, if they see that, they're not going to do you any favors in terms of letting off the gas pedal. Yeah. But in terms of Justice shooting more, you know, I don't know if he's if he's built as the guy to say this is my possession isolation I'm gonna go to work no he's not but I believe that on a really on a solid team he could be like a really good secondary scorer and sort of feed off that primary score but he is being forced into a situation where he does have to be that primary scorer exactly and this was probably one of his better overall offensive games of Pac-12 play he did have 20 points Knocked down three of six three-pointers. The three-point shot... Which is way out of character for him. Because his conference percentage from three is 23%. The three-point shot with Justice is kind of... It kind of comes and goes from game to game. And you do definitely have to respect his shot. His shot kind of like Paris. It's not the same in that Paris shoots on the way down. But his shot's definitely like a little... It's got kind of a hitch to it. Mm -hmm. But, you know... With Justice, like, as you said, you know, some draft evaluators, what they're looking for more than anything is how consistently someone can knock down free throws as opposed to their actual three-point percentage. Now, this isn't me saying that definitively Justice is going to get drafted or assigned to an NBA team. It's just a rule of thumb. Yeah. So when you see him shooting about 85% from the free throw line, it's encouraging to see how he can make threes. I would say the one thing with Justice making threes, as, as well as Darius as well, it's putting them in a position to where that they can shoot off the catch-and-shoot because that's when they're most effective. Mm. Especially because Justice is quick, but just in the way that I've seen him play, he's not really the type to, to shoot off like the dribble. It's not the quickest release. Um, he needs some space. So, yeah. I mean, you see him kind of... He takes a lot of tough threes, I will say. Um, not a lot of open ones. Same with Darius. Speaking of Darius, this was this was sort of an idea that I've been I've been mulling over a little bit, and you know we're not coaches, <laughs> but only in our downtime. You know, you know, two K my league. Yep. You know, sometimes when we're bored playing the games, we'll we'll throw on coach mode. Oh yeah. <laughs> but this is one of the ideas I've sort of been mulling over a little bit, and at first it seems kind of ludicrous. But then, you know, what did, what did Jay-Z say at the beginning of the, the interlude on the Black Album? Allow me to introduce myself. Yep. Allow me to explain myself. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a Jay- this is just, this podcast is unofficially sponsored by Jay-Z, yep. Nas Carter. <laughs> but anyhow, this is, this is my proposal. Okay. Have Darius McNeil come off the bench. Now, this is not a knock against Darius McNeil. This is actually 
what, affirmation of his game. Now that sounds strange to say, but let me explain. Um, a player that is not on this team anymore, that was last year, is one Don Coleman. Or, according to uh, University of Washington, uh, don't Coleman. <laughs> but I would say Don was a very polarizing figure for a lot of reasons. For you and too. He did, and he didn't really, <laughs> he didn't really, as I forgot who was mentioning it, but he wasn't really cut from like the cow cloth, just in terms of like overall personality. But what I will say about Don Coleman was that the man was fearless. The man would go down shooting, for the, better and for worse. This man, I think he was like, what, 6'2", barely 200 if he was 200. He would run, he would go into the paint, guns a-blazing, put his body on the line, going up, trying to get fouled. And there would be a lot of games where he would get fouled a lot, granted, you know. He was a big, players. irrational confidence guy. The big, irrational confidence shout guy. shout-out Bill and, Simmons. And sometimes you do need that on a team. Yeah. You need someone, especially, you know, when things are going south and the team's a little timid, sometimes you just got to give the ball to someone and be like, shoot, go get us a bucket even if it means taking a dumb shot. Well, preferably don't take a dumb shot, but get us a bucket any way you know how. Sometimes that's... <laughs> taking an Italy. This is a side note, but I think if I remember right, Don Coleman was the second worst high volume three point shooter in the entire nation last year. Just a little stat to throw out there. <laughs> but I believe it. This man, Don Coleman, would just. When the offense needed offense, he would provide it. And he did have that string of games in the beginning of the season where three of his first four games, as crazy as it sounds, he had 30 points. And sometimes you can only do that when you're irrationally confident. Now, am I saying that Darius McNeil is better or worse or the same level of confidence? No. What I am saying is that Cal needs offense off the bench. As we mentioned, the core six players in this game that played a majority of the minutes were Justice, Matt, Darius, Paris, Andre, and Juwan. And the one who came off the bench was Juwan. And as we've mentioned, Juwan doesn't have the best offensive abilities. And as we've also mentioned, you know, Paris is playing heavy minutes and you, you want to ensure that he's not, you know, sort of being ran into the ground for lack of a better term. And I think what you can do with Darius, have him come off the bench, and you can also... In doing, the only way this works is that you also have Connor and Jacoby and Grant also coming off the bench with him, and you have a legitimate second unit. Not wow. Ju- not just You're talking crazy now. <laughs> yeah. You're talking about a second unit? Second oh unit. Oh my god. Desperate. From, from having <laughs> no more than six guys, now we're going to have a second unit. Some desperate times call for desperate measures. Yo, I, I am a proponent of that. Sometimes you just got to shake but, things up. Man, I don't know if that's in Vikings. Repertoire. So, I really don't so know. this is how I imagine this going. Okay. And again, I we've never really seen this, so this is just me kind of spitballing. Have a second unit composed of Darius, Connor, or please, or if if Connor's not starting off the bench, Darius, Connor, Jawan, Jacoby, and Grant, and probably you might want to throw in one of the actual starters just to. Yeah, sort of I think that's shape. gonna get killed on defense. It might get. I'll let you. I'll let you make your point, but just. So, it might get killed on defense, but <laughs> it most likely it most likely will get killed on defense. Just knowing those components, but I think we're at a point in the season where Viking just really needs to shake things up, and you never know how guys are going to respond 
to playing with different guys on the floor. Mm-hmm. And you, you're not going to know how they're going to respond to... You're not going to know how something's going to shake out unless you do it. And I think we're at a point, you know, nine straight losses. You got to try something. Roll out a second unit, give Darius the ball, and just say, go shoot, get us a bucket. We're, like, we're going to have you be the man. And granted, this is kind of a crazy idea. But even if we... Let's, let's go into more rational territory then. Let's just say Juwan, or Darius comes off the bench. And he's just, like, rolling with the first Just unit part guys. of the six-man rotation. Just part of that six-man rotation. Yeah. I think that does something for him psychologically. Because if you'll remember, his best performance of the season came when he came off the bench. And it was the it 20, the 23.7 seal performance against UCLA. And I, there's definitely a different feeling when you're starting versus you're coming off the bench. When you're starting, it's like you have, you're responsible for the flow of the game. You have to make sure that your team starts out strong or else all hell can break loose. When you're coming off the bench, it's like, this is a situation I inherited. I wasn't responsible for this. Let's just go. And I think with Darius, I think if he has that let's go mentality that like, let's just let's let the ship ride. I'm going to take my shots. This is the situation I inherited. I think that can do something for him, just psychologically speaking in terms of just being more aggressive because Darius at his best is when Darius is at his most aggressive. And again, the UCLA game when he was, he ended that the first half of that game, just taking a pull up three to beat the buzzer. And it's like, that was an instance when he like, he couldn't think about it. He just had to take it. Yeah. He's best when he's playing off instinct. You're right. So that's, that's a lot of me talking. There's basically two takes wrapped up in that. (laughs) Now, I guess to like reel back a little bit, uh, I got a little I got a little excited. Maybe not a full five man rotation, but more of like a legitimate like maybe three reserves, two stars, and just sort of cycle out from there, just to shake things up. Because yeah, I mean look at Utah. That's a legit, you know, two unit rotation. Yeah, they have. Look, look at that. Besides Topolovich, oh that's beautiful. you have a lot of players playing twenty minutes, and you only have what Bearfield playing thirty four minutes, and you know I think that does. That does a service to guys confidence-wise, rhythm-wise. To summarize it all up, what do you have to lose? Besides your job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think think we've established that... uh, Well, let's think about this, It's some very, like, shaky territory. Anyhow. Darius? Um, Well, I don't know him that well, but I wonder... If you put that kind of... If you put Darius, any player, from a starting role to on the bench, it can... It's it's a big deal for those guys. I mean, they care a lot about starting. So I worry that... I mean, he responded well in uh, what the USC game, was it? UCLA. The UCLA game, where he came off the bench. But it almost felt like he had to earn that starting spot back, and he did with his play. So I wonder... If Viking said, hey, you're going to be our sixth man, you're going to be our scorer, but we need you to come off the bench, I wonder if he would still take that as a slight. Because you have to trust your coach, right, to trust that kind of decision. I'm not sure there's that level of trust when, you know, your head coach is Viking Jones and you haven't won a game in conference. It's hard to trust your commander where it might actually scream, we're desperate. I'm just throwing stuff together. So in theory, I like it, but in if it was actually applied, I worry that either Darius would lose his confidence or the team would see it as a white flag of sorts and that the 
coach has kind of lost the team and is just throwing paint at the wall at this point. I would say to the point of Darius' confidence, he's kind of been very shaky in yeah. conference play as it is. Like, I think he's averaging... He's averaging around 10 points, but he's shooting well below 40% in conference play. And so, yeah, it does scream a little bit of desperation, but when you have multiple players shooting mm-hmm. sub-40%, multiple players shooting sub-30% from distance, you got to try something. And I think, you know, the one six-man that comes to mind, just when I think of the term, or the couple, you know, Jamal Crawford, Lou Will, Lou Will Mano Ginobili, and... Iguodala. In, Iguodala. There's a lot of instances in which sixth man is more of a tile rather than your actual influx of minutes. Like, you'll yeah. see Lou Will come off the bench, but he'll play, like, 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And so that's sort of what I'm getting to at, more to what I'm getting at. I'm not saying cut his minutes. I'm saying swap the role and see what he No, I know do. what you mean. But just... The role is important to those guys. Because it is college. It's not the NBA. Yeah. These aren't, like, established 13-year players. Yeah. So I do worry about how that would affect Darius. Because, I mean, he's already a little hamstrung. He doesn't have the ball in his hands a lot of the time. And I feel like he probably feels like he's not really getting to have a lot of agency with his play right now. It feels like he's kind of playing off Paris injustice. So... To have another instance where he's kind of out of control and this decision's been made for him. This is just speculation, and I'm projecting here, but I I would worry about that. But it's worth looking at, because when you're on an eight in conference, like you said, you got to try anything. And I think, too, that, you know, I do acknowledge that a lot of teams do play zone against Cal. Yeah. I think the only team in the Pac-12 that doesn't play zone of any sort is probably Arizona. For whatever reason. They, well, they have just the players. They We have enough talent like that. You can play man. No problem. Yeah. But I definitely do acknowledge that when you play zone, it's a lot harder to run a set play. And <laughs> granted, even when Cal was going against teams that were playing man, they weren't running many set plays. But I just I'm just a firm believer that when you're on track... To potentially go winless in conference you're on track for the worst season in, in modern program history mm-hmm. and if you're Viking Jones you're on track to be the worst coach in school history statistically and I think I think at that point when you're when you're either would you say they're approaching rock bottom rock bottom or if they've hit it I think once they lose to Stanford which they probably will I think that'll be rock bottom Washington State was close to rock bottom, getting blown out in Pullman, but I think losing in our biggest rivalry game at home, if that indeed does happen, I think that'll be rock bottom. So That's the one I've been circling on my calendar. So, as you said, we're approaching, like, it's almost there and it's very yeah. imminent. Yeah. When it's that bad, you just gotta... You kind of do just, like... You, you kind of just kind of throw something at the wall and hope it sticks. Mm-hmm. Because desperate times do call for desperate measures. Yes. And, you know, you can rely on the talent you do have. You might get lucky. You might have a 17-point comeback like last year against Stanford. Yeah, at the very least, it's a new look for the defense. Like, that's not going to be on the scouting report. 
for these teams if we start bringing Darius McNeil off the bench. It's going to be a new thing for them to account for. He's going to be going against second unit guys. I mean, he could cook them if he's going against second unit guys. That's sort of what speaks to the confidence, too. It's like when you, like, for example, if, let me think of, like, who's a really good, uh, say, for example, Darius McNeil was going against Stephen Thompson Jr. or Ethan Thompson from Oregon State. You see those guys, you're thinking, my God, this is one of the, like, Stephen Thompson, one of the better players in Oregon State's history. But I'm, like, blanking on bench guys right now. Think, say... Insert bench guy. Say, yeah. then, say then you go against insert bench guy who is not of the caliber of an Ethan Thompson or a Stephen Thompson. Then you're thinking, okay, I can get buckets on this guy. Exactly. And I think then, so it's sort of like this psychological seesaw that you got going on here where it could go either way. It could go horribly wrong or it could, well, I guess a seesaw has to be like about balance. So I don't know if it's like, <laughs> maybe you get like halfway up the seesaw on the other hand yeah. where it's just Darius scores like 12 points on maybe 40% shooting. But even at that, that's an improvement right then and there. So And I think he likes having the ball in his hands a little bit more than he has right now. Yeah. So. He has acknowledged he's more of a natural wing than a point guard, but you he's know, not so, touching it that much though. He is Sometimes you just gotta you just gotta dribble it a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Get yeah. a rhythm, right? Like you can't really come into a game cold. Be- yeah, no, because right now what we're basically asking of McNeil every game is you need to stand on the wing and kind of just be ready to shoot the ball when you see a glimmer of window. And that's a hard thing to ask of anyone. And that's I mean, the whole thing. Go ahead. That's what they ask of like JJ Redick. And I was just about shooters to like that. I mean, those are professional shooters. Darius McNeil, he's a talented shooter, but he's not a sniper. He needs to get his rhythm a little bit. Maybe get a layup. Maybe go to the free throw line. Get his, you know, it's about building confidence. And I think it's kind of unfair the role they've kind of thrust him in, where it's stand off on the wing and then shoot it right away. It's and, tough. And you notice those games, like those games when he is taking those threes where he kind of goes like a hesitation into a three or he like dribbles into a three those games like those are the games when he has his confidence and more likely than not those are the games when he's knocking down his shot so what's the takeaway from all this just the takeaway is (laughs) i mean i think we're putting in a lot more thought into like jump starting this offense than maybe the coaching staff is because i mean have you seen any tactical differences with the way we're playing offense right now. It's either Justice Bully Ball or Paris uh, pick and roll. See what you can work with. See if you can kick it out. Honestly, not that much. Yeah. And the thing, I was so as I mentioned like, what, like an hour, out an hour ago at this yeah. point. I mentioned a while ago that I was talking with um, uh, with Mike Yam or I was listening to his podcast but I was, uh, I was, on, I was on a call with him um, like on Friday because we were just sort of talking logistics and stuff of that nature and what he mentioned was that Larry Kristoviak the head coach by the way try spelling Kristoviak <laughs> but <laughs> we were we were talking he was talking about Utah and what he's been able to do with the personnel that he has and if you look at the roster you see it's very much you know it's more of a project than anything you have Cedric Bearfield who's your essentially your star player but not a traditional star player. Not a traditional star player, but he's caught, he's sort of capped out at who he's going to be. Mm-hmm. And then Parker Van Dyke, Timmy Allen, Riley Batten, 
both gods, you know, you do have a very, Donnie Tillman as well, very encouraging young core. And when you're presented with that core, it could either go one of two ways, you know, you could either develop that core and get the most out of them, or essentially you can either be Utah or Cal. And Larry Kristoviak has been the instrumental reason that Utah has been Utah. They're not world beaters right now, but, you know, as I mentioned with Gotch and Timmy Allen, these are a pair of very talented players. Gotch is going to be a problem. Gotch is going to be a couple years. Man. Like he's essentially a 6'7 point guard. That dude is, who is, that dude is nasty. Still getting his shooting. And then Timmy Allen, this was one of the those beautiful stats that I was able to conjure up because of sports reference but okay this stat it might not be accurate as of right now but i was i said it when i was uh, making my power rankings i hope i didn't say this in the last podcast but he was one of he was the only freshman in in conference play to be in the top three of points rebounds assistance steals that's a promising young now this has turned into a utah podcast (laughs) anyhow what i'm trying to say is larry kristoviak has been the central reason as to why utah is utah and on the flip side of that why king jones has been one of the central reasons as to why cal is cal Yeah, it's almost like a funhouse mirror version of what cal could be because the talent disparity is not that big with Uh, utah okay i mean they have gotcha bearfield but they do have some like very solid role players, so I would definitely say just on paper, Utah is definitely yeah. the more talented team. My point is like, it's a model that Cal, like you're trying to say, could have followed, you know, because, where go ahead. you're just not seeing that the sum is greater than the parts, which is kind of what Utah has adopted. Because think of, just looking at the roster, think of what the max potential of some of these guys could be. Maybe with Justice, it's like an 18-point scorer. Bradley, it's someone who can both shoot and distribute. Andre Kelly, this is someone that... He had his first spin move in quite a while today. Dude. He's getting his confidence the back. spin move is back. But it was something... It's, you He's see, quiet, though, man. He has been. Quiet. But you see the players on Cal's roster, and you see... And you sort of ponder, like, what could their max potential be just based on the flashes we've seen and do you think we could get them there i think if larry kristoviak was to just inherit cal tomorrow if you well let's let's bring this back a little bit if larry kristoviak had cal from the summer onwards this entire team i don't think this team is flirting with going winless in conference i don't think they're going to be at the top of the conference but i think they're stealing some wins Mm -hmm. so you know this is something we've talked about player development and scheme and coaching yeah we're, we're not co- yeah. doing coaching <laughs> I just think at this point you know you gotta you gotta try something yeah you know you, you can't have the the approach that it's not all attitude it's just not like that just can't be a, or we need to get away from each other that can't be the answers right I think more than anything this is where I really disagree just from like a human being perspective because so okay as I say this this is gonna come off as very um, just say, just come out. He's putting the glasses down. It's gonna, glasses off. <laughs> it's gonna come off as like kind of cocky, but I'm trying to do it to say a point. So, in high school during my senior year, I was the president of. Oh my god, this just sounds so University of Competitive Bastards, and I hate it. I hate you. Say it. I hate you. The gotta elitism. say it, yo. But in in high school, in my senior year, I was the president of my school's mock trial club, and mock trial. It's not. It's it's sort of similar to golf in that it's not 
sort of complete teamwork, but you have to be able to work together and work off of each other. And you got to be able to like pick the next man up or woman up or non-conforming folk up when if if you're down. You got to be able to have that. And the best way to have that is to be together. Like yeah, some like, you can't be together every day with anybody and expect it to like be kumbaya. But sometimes you just got to work through it. And I remember one time there was a period during the season, the mock trial season, where I didn't feel everyone was up to snuff. So I sort of got him in a room, and for lack of a better term, I yoked him. I would, and I called out two people, but sometimes you've just got to keep it real. And you got to just be like, we're not where we need to be. But in addition to that, you also got to, you know, the yin and yang. And my emphasis that I tried to have when we were, because this is a team. And what I tried to do was I wanted to make it so it wasn't people were fighting for themselves, they were fighting for the team, even if it was this like sort of collection of parts. So every once in a while I would, you know, just have socials like, yeah, we'll we'll run through like all the stuff we need to run through. We'll go through our cross examinations, our direct examinations, opening statement, closing statement, yada yada yada. But then it's like, screw it, let's just like order pizza and watch Zombievers on Netflix. Zombievers is a movie about zombie beavers. It is a horribly good movie. Wow. And we watched it. It's amazing. But then we watched, uh, what's that movie that Jack Nicholson's like, You Can't Handle the Truth, A Few Good Men? Oh, A Few Good Men. Yeah, that's, that's like, a great mock trial movie. That's a great mock trial movie. We watched <laughs> that together and, you know, we sort of had that like, let's run through a wall together mentality. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, you do need to get away, but just you announcing I'm like we gotta get away from each other the way that he said it it just it was like the resignation man the like it was strange to, to put it lightly it you can tell like man the well is poisoned and it's like they've just kind of given up honestly that's the feeling I'm getting it's definitely not they get punched in the mouth and it's over there's a lot of instances when it just doesn't feel just even in the arena when you're watching the game, it doesn't feel like a, a joyful environment, for lack of a better term. And, again, for the 30 millionth time, we're not coaches, but, you know, I think at some point everybody's put, been put in a leadership position, whether that's the head coach of a major Division One program or, you know, a group project, a group, power, a group presentation where someone's slacking. Yeah. And you got to put the team on the back. But, and you know, sometimes you just gotta change it up. You gotta have a little bit of a, of a shift. And getting away from each other cannot be the answer. Like, and I think more than anything, come on. Maybe get away from basketball. But like, we live, we're in the Bay Area. There's an abundance of things to do. Go watch the Warriors. You know, well, like, what have you even done to earn that? You know what I mean? Like, if we're gonna take the easy way out, like, I'd like to be like, you guys earned it. Like, your plays improve. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like just a cop-out. Like, if anything, you got to push harder and really get in the lab and work twice as hard to get just one win, guys. I mean, just a sense of pride. Like, come on. I forgot who was saying it, but... Oh, this was actually... That was from the... This is from the Draymond Durant article when it was... It was Draymond sort of elaborating on the the whole situation. This was from an article that was written by Marcus Thompson of The Athletic. And what Draymond said was, like, I can't remember what he said word for word, but the most special friendships that I have are the ones where you've gone through something with them. Because then that's how you build. 
And as you said, if you're just... if I get that Viking does have to recruit. That's definitely a thing that he needs to do if he's going to improve the state of the team next year. But I don't... like. I, Again, I don't know a coach's recruiting schedule. I can imagine it being very... You just don't say that publicly, I don't think. Or, like, phrase it. Frame it in those terms. Like, you don't have to say we're getting away from each other. It's like we all have responsibilities. You know, part of being a coach in college basketball, you have a responsibility to go recruit. And the players have a responsibility to go work on their game. You don't say, yeah, we're just going to get away from each other. Like, that just sends the wrong message to the team. It's definitely not, not the best message to send. Um, we're at the 140 marker. Jesus we're Christ. It. My we're, Lord. We are, we're going to hit. Joe Rogan, I keep telling you, we're coming for you. <laughs> we're really coming for you. I can't imagine like, how long a podcast would be if Cal actually does go winless. I think we might Yo, just, we might just do a live We podcast. might lock ourselves in a room for just like an entire day. And just. <laughs> oh my God. Sort of do, the, have you seen Bandersnatch? Yes. On Netflix. Remember yeah. that scene or like that shot where like there's just a bunch of like stuff on the wall. Yeah. And it's just all that's, the different <laughs> paths you could choose. That's just gonna be like if Cal goes winless in conference, that's gonna what's that's gonna Where's be the, the Charlie Day meme with all the oh uh, uh, Pepe on Silva. The wall. Pepe Silva. This name keeps coming up over and over again every day. Pepe's mail's getting sent back to me. Pepe Silva. Pepe Silva. I look at the mail. Well, this whole box is Pepe Silva. <laughs> <laughs> but we're at the 140 mark. We gotta wrap this thing Wait, up. We need um, the Canadian Player of the Week. So we don't okay. We don't have a Canadian player of the week, mm. but what we do have is a Canadian program of the week. Hey, we're ch- we're changing up. We got we got to change up the landscape. We're talking yeah. about changing up the landscape. Yeah, we have. To, what is the quote? Like, see, be the change you want to see in the world. Exactly. So adapt or die. Our Canadian program of the week. Uh, for some reason, I don't have it loaded on my computer, <laughs> but I remember who it is. It's Arizona State. Uh, as I mentioned previously, Wait, what I mentioned previously that Arizona State has Lugan Stewart, uh, product of Canada. Uh, he did have his ankles turned to dust by Peyton Pritchard, Ooh. but that's not what's important. What's important is that Arizona State is having a Canadian day. Canadian Day, Canadian Month, they're having a Canadian something. They're celebrating the great nation that is Canada, Poutine, Jamal Murray, Andrew Wiggins, Anthony Bennett, Maple syrup. Canada, Canada. Snow. I think we got to throw the, the O Canada music in here at yeah, some we point. Will. Shout out to Chantel, shout out to Shaylin, uh, shout out to Jason Bay. Of the, of the New York Mets and Pittsburgh Pirates. This is just going to progress. Wow, Jason Bay, that's such a deep cut. Oh, my <laughs> God. Are you, are you guys appreciating that? This dude just shouted out Jason Bay. That's amazing. I think this is just going to, like, this Canadian player of the, or Canadian whatever of the week is just going to turn into me just name-dropping more Canadians yeah. every week. Celine I need, Dion. I need to figure out more good. Canadians that more are in random. this office. I think there there's has to be more than two. Yeah, they're in hiding. <laughs> They're amongst us. We don't know exactly where. Anytime any like stray French fries are let out, it's just it's just swiped. Yep. And you hear like a, a, the, the vague smell of mm. gravy and cheese curds. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> We're descending into madness. It's currently 10-16. It's 10-16. We might as well check on how... What was the late game Arizona UCLA? We might as well see how they win. Live, live, live oh reaction. Ooh! <laughs> 90, 90 to 69 what? Arizona. I what? Mean, granted, it, it is at Poly Pavilion. Yo, who Actually, is UCLA? Who is Arizona now? 
Because I'm going to have to knock them off the second spot of the it's power rankings. It's an ACOT transfer, man. Bad juju. Correlation or causation? Uh, yeah. I think Arizona State. I'll leave that for the scientists. Arizona State's going to have to move up to number two now. Because I think Arizona lost both games of the SoCal trip. God, this conference is a joke. This conference is so bad. <laughs> 21 if, point? And the, the thing... Oh, my the, God. Okay, so Washington's now won. I, they're still win... Or, uh, undefeated in conference there's still Washington looks the most solid and the most impressive Washington Wash. is most likely going to make the tournament in some way or the other barring a just disaster but I want to imagine just some scenario in which UCLA makes the tournament after everything that's happened that would be pretty incredible just like with the midseason firing and the smackdowns from like North Carolina and Michigan State mm. to like making the national tournament. It's like who, who, who? <laughs> Can we get like that Snoop Dogg soundbite? Who? I think we will. We'll, we'll be, add that. But the lunacy of the Pac-12 is that I I can just imagine like okay maybe at this point like four teams conceivably making the tournament, but not like all four like one or the other. I know that. I think Arizona and Arizona State were also projected to make the tournament in addition to whoever wins. I just can't see that happening, honestly. It is a power five or power six conference, but it's like it's been a historically bad year. Mm-hmm. Who knows what's gonna happen? I guess if you want to find out, stay tuned for the next episode of the podcast. I don't think I'm gonna do a high energy outro because Beat Stanford. <laughs> I don't think I have the energy for the Please. high energy outro. It's 1018. It's not a Thursday afternoon. If you understand that reference, you're a real one. But this has been Justice Del Santos, Rory O'Toole, and not here physically, but in spirit, Serena Carana. Spice Queen. Spice Queen. Pride of Sacramento. (laughs) Signing off. Peace.